Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Uh, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And as you turn there, I'd just like everybody to take a deep breath in and remember that college football is back this week. <laughs> you know, it just, there's, there's so much going on in the world that is wrong and bad. I just feel like we should acknowledge when things are right, that college football is back this week. So maybe I'm more excited about that than you guys are, but I'm thoroughly excited about that, that my Saturdays will be way more interesting than they have been. So that's this week. Uh, if you're brand new, uh, that's not how we normally start a teaching, first of all. Um, we uh, are in a series called In Knoxville As It Is In Heaven. And basically what we've been talking about is how uh, we are called as followers of Jesus to participate with God in bringing aspects of heaven to earth. And so what we've been doing each week is we've been looking at one glimpse that we get in the scriptures of the new heavens and the new earth, about how life will be one day in the future for followers of Jesus. And then we've been using that to, to sort of implement what that looks like to live in light of that reality in the here and now, to bring aspects of heaven to earth. And the glimpse that we're getting of heaven today, you just heard it read in the scripture reading, is from 1 John chapter 3. Now, you don't need to turn there. I know you're already in Matthew. But essentially, what that passage in 1 John tells us is that one day, when Jesus comes back, when he returns to the earth to make all things right and all things new, on that day, we will be made like him. We will become like Jesus. All of us who follow Jesus will be brought to full maturity in him because, in the words of 1 John, we will see him as he is. That, that something about beholding Jesus in all of his fullness and all of his glory will actually transform each of us who belong to Jesus to be completely like we were made to be all along. That one day, once and for all, we will become like Jesus. And followers of Jesus believe that because that is our ultimate goal, because that's the reality that we're headed towards one day, we also participate in becoming more like Jesus now. That, that's one aspect of how we bring the realities of heaven to earth by, by becoming more like Jesus. Now, the word most often used for that process, becoming more like Jesus in the Bible, is the word discipleship. Discipleship. It's becoming a disciple of Jesus. In the original language of the New Testament, disciple is the word mathetes. Can you say that? Mathetes. And most literally translated into English, it would be a word like student or, or maybe a word like learner. But I almost hesitate to use those words for the word disciple because 
In our society, the words student and learner conjure up very different images than they did in Jesus' day. When you and I hear the word student or learner, chances are we picture like a student in a classroom, right? Where a teacher is sort of dispelling information and we're taking it in. Or maybe when you hear the word student, you think of like late night, wee hours of the morning, a student at his desk or her desk pouring over, you know, five different books open on your table. UT students, it is coming for you. It is is happening soon. If you're not there yet, it will be here. So maybe that's what you think of when you think of those words. But you have to understand that in Jesus' day, the life of a student or a learner or a disciple was so much more than that. It was so much more than those things. Being a mathetes in Jesus' day didn't just mean that you spent time in a classroom or poring over dense books. It meant that you followed a rabbi around from place to place. Life was the classroom, in other words. Hence, Jesus' most popular instruction and invitation to his disciples that he delivers over and over again in the Gospels where he says, come and follow me. And when he said that, he didn't mean like, follow me on Instagram, like like some of the things that I say and like act like you're sort of interested in them. He meant follow me. And he didn't mean go and study me or or learn facts about me, or even agree with things that I say. He meant literally, physically, get up and follow me. Go the places I go, do the things that I do, and learn how to do all of those things the way that I, Jesus, do them. Disciples of Jesus were those who followed him around and observed what he did for the purpose of becoming like him as a result of that. So, The word disciple in the Bible is probably a lot closer to the way that you and I would use a word like apprentice. So I had a friend once who was apprenticing to become a plumber. And the way that the apprenticeship worked was not primarily that he sat in a classroom and read books about plumbing or heard facts about plumbing. There may have been some of that, but the vast majority of it was that he rode around in a truck with another plumber who had been doing it for a while. He, he crawled up under houses with that guy and watched that guy do his job. And then he would ask that guy follow-up questions as they went about those house calls. And maybe after they made those house calls, he would ask him follow-up questions about it. And that was how he became a plumber, by following another plumber around and learning from him. So that is actually a lot closer to what the Bible means by the word discipleship. It's spending a concentrated amount of time with someone else for the purpose of becoming like them. When Jesus interacted with people, again, he did not just call them to listen to him or learn from him or even believe right things about him. He called them to follow him, to apprentice themselves under his life so that they might learn to live the way that he lived. That's how the disciples became more like Jesus. Now, in the same way, when we talk about what it means to belong to Jesus today or to have a relationship with Jesus or to be a Christian, we aren't just talking about knowing true things about God. We're not just talking about knowing true things about Jesus or believing correct things about him or agreeing with things that he said. We're talking about apprenticing ourselves to Jesus and learning his way of life. Now, 
that obviously looks a little bit different for us today than it did back then because Jesus is not here in the flesh. But many of the same principles still apply. So I always scratch my head a little bit uh, when I hear people say things, especially here in the South, like, oh, I've always been a Christian, but I've just recently started following Jesus. Or I've always believed in Jesus, but I've only recently started getting really serious about following him. And I think I understand what people mean when they use language like that. But you got to understand that in the Bible, those are not separate categories. Not at all. To believe in Jesus is to follow him, and to follow him is to believe in him. Those are synonymous. That's what those words mean. So I'll explain it like this. Let's say you and I were having a conversation, and you told me that you were a vegetarian. And, and then I said to you, okay, gotcha, so you don't eat meat. I get it. And you said, oh, no, I eat meat. And then I would say, oh, okay, so like you eat like fish and seafood, but you don't eat stuff like red meat. And then you said, oh, no, I eat all kinds of meat. And then I said, okay, so like you mean you, you don't mind eating it on occasion, like if you have to, but most of the time you just eat veggies. You don't eat meat. And then you said, oh, no, I eat meat all the time, like for every meal. Eventually, I would have to look at you and go, I have something to say that you're not going to like to hear you're actually not a vegetarian. And you couldn't get mad at me for saying that. You would have to get mad at a dictionary for telling you that, right? Because that's just not what the word vegetarian means. Okay, in the same way, I, I don't think it's accurate for us to describe ourselves as followers of Jesus if we aren't following Jesus. I mean, even the word Christian, the, the word Christian literally means little Christ, as in the early followers of Jesus thought of themselves and carried themselves as little Jesuses, choosing to live like Jesus lived and act the way that Jesus acted. So if we don't have that goal as our aim, we probably shouldn't claim that title, right? But if we do claim that title, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, if we call ourselves Jesus' people, and if we call ourselves Christians, that means we are necessarily participating in a life of discipleship to Jesus. We are learning from him how to go about life on a regular basis. We are imitating him. Now, all of that means in turn, one of the things that we are imitating Jesus in is discipling other people. That's a necessary part of it. We are helping other people follow Jesus like we do. Or to put it another way, the way it puts it in Matthew 28, we are called to make disciples. Now, that's what I want us to focus the rest of our time on today. That's what Matthew 28 is all about. So take a look with me, starting in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them, them being his disciples, and said... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That, in case you are wondering, is how you say Jesus is Lord in the first person. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, and here's the instruction, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey Everything that I've commanded you. 
And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So these are Jesus' parting instructions to his disciples. Best we can tell, this is one of the final things that Jesus says to them before he departs to go and be with the Father until the day he returns to make all things new. And here's the thing. Parting instructions are usually pretty important, are they not? So just think about every movie you've ever seen where someone delivers like a final line or a final monologue as they breathe their last breaths. Generally, it is important stuff that they say. And some of Jesus' final instructions, parting instructions to his disciples are to, quote, go and make disciples. Go and take a vested interest in helping other people become more and more like Jesus. Now, I want you to notice there are no real qualifiers in Jesus' instructions here. So Jesus doesn't say, if you're really spiritually mature, go and make disciples. That wouldn't make sense. The absolute longest that these people had been following Jesus was three years, many of them far less than that. So they're not incredibly spiritually mature people. Jesus also does not say, those of you who are the most theologically trained and theologically educated, you go and make disciples. This would be the wrong crowd for that too. We find out in Acts that this group of people were all, quote, ordinary and untrained in that regard. He also doesn't say, maybe this hits a little bit closer to home for some of us, he doesn't say, if you have some extra time in your schedule and you're not that busy, go and make disciples. He doesn't say the, the main thing that matters is that you focus on your personal relationship with Jesus, but if you think about it and the opportunity presents itself, go and make disciples. Help other people become more like Jesus too. And I get that I'm belaboring my point right now, but I need you to see from this passage that helping others become more like Jesus is not some sort of auxiliary task off to the side for super Christians to do. It is a task for every single person who calls himself or herself a follower of Jesus. It is front and center to what Jesus left all of us to do until he returns. Go and help other people become more like him. Those are the parting instructions. So I guess my first question for many of us today would be this. In, in many ways, it's really pretty simple. If you are in the room right now and you would call yourself a follower of Jesus... Are you regularly participating in discipleship, in making disciples? Are you regularly, actively helping other people become more like Jesus? Not when you think about it and when you have time, but is, is it a goal and an aim of your life to do that? Or maybe another way of asking it would be this. If we could take a worldwide survey of every single Christian, every single follower of Jesus on the planet. We can't do that, but if we could. And the question we asked them on that survey was, who is regularly, currently, actively helping you become more like Jesus? Would your name show up on anybody's answer to that question? Would there be someone who could say, yeah, Nicholas is helping me become more like Jesus? on a regular basis. Yes, Selena is helping me become more like Jesus on a regular basis. Yeah, Ashley is helping me become more like Jesus on a regular basis. Would your name show up on anybody's answer to that question? I want you to honestly 
think about the answer to that question for just a second. Now, I want you to hear my heart in asking that. My, my aim there is not to shame anybody or make anybody feel horrible about something they're not doing. I, I just ask it because I think to get anywhere with this idea of making disciples, we have to be honest with ourselves about where we're currently at, right? You can't get to where you want to go without acknowledging where you are. That's true in any facet of life. So, Because according to Jesus' parting instructions, at least somebody should be able to say that about us. Somebody should be able to say, that person is helping me become more like Jesus. If we claim to follow Jesus, a necessary part of that is that we are regularly, actively helping others become more like him. Every disciple, according to Jesus, is a discipler, is someone who is making disciples. That's the point of Matthew 28. Now... That said, I want to try to give us the benefit of the doubt this morning. I want to assume that if you currently aren't making disciples as a follower of Jesus, it's not because you just don't care what Jesus said or you're ignoring it. Maybe that is true of you. Maybe that is the reason, and that's a teaching for a different day. But I'm going to assume that that's not where you're at, right? That you're not just hearing Jesus say, go and make disciples and go and, no, thank you, Jesus. I would rather not. Because for quite a few people I know, the obstacle to them going and making disciples is not an obstacle of desire. It's not that they don't want to go and make disciples. It's actually one of experience. So it's actually that they want to help other people become more like Jesus. They just don't know where to start because they've never done it before. They don't know what it looks like, practically speaking, to participate in something like that. So... What I want to see if we can do the rest of our time is helping with that. What does it actually mean to help others become more like Jesus? What does making disciples consist of at the end of the day? I want to see if we can help with that. So there's a guy named Mark Dever who pastors a church in Washington, D.C. From what I've heard, incredible pastor, even more incredible disciple maker just in his personal life. Um, He has a great book out there on discipleship appropriately titled Discipleship. So that might be hard to find on Amazon, but feel free to email me. I'll shoot you a link. Like I said, he's great at discipleship, maybe not so great on creativity when it comes to book titles, but it's just called Discipleship. Great book, short book, easy to read if you want a further resource on all of this. But in that book, he provides what I think is a great working definition of discipleship. What discipleship is according to the Bible. And sometimes, as a pastor, I'll just give you a little industry secret right here. Sometimes something that someone else says is just so good that you just directly steal it and apologize for stealing it. So that's what I'm doing this morning. We're just going to use Mark Dever's definition of discipleship. I'm going to give you the whole definition all at once, almost verbatim to the way that he puts it. And then we'll go back through and unpack each part of it together. So here's his definition. Discipling is initiating a relationship consisting of loving, teaching, modeling, and correcting in order to help another person become more like Jesus. I know that's kind of long, so I'll give you a second to write it down. It's initiating a relationship consisting of loving, teaching, modeling, and correcting in order to help another person become more like Jesus. That's what discipling is. Let's break each part of that down a little bit to help understand what it means. First, discipleship or discipling 
is initiating a relationship. So notice the word at the beginning of Jesus' instructions in Matthew 28. It's the word go. Go is an initiating type of word, is it not? If I say to you, go, it is obvious that I am wanting you to do something as a result of that. You need to take some type of action and preferably fast, right? That's true of discipleship. It requires action. It requires initiative in order to do it. Now, I mention that because I think some people think that discipleship just sort of happens. Have you ever heard somebody who follows Jesus describe discipleship as just doing life together? You ever heard that phrase? I think we've probably even used that phrase around here before. It's not a bad phrase. I'm not mad at it. But I do think uh, if we don't define what we mean by that, it can be a little bit misleading. Because that's, that sort of makes it sound like discipleship just happens automatically, right? Like it doesn't require any effort or intentionality other than just physically being in the same place as another follower of Jesus. And in reality, when it comes to discipling, nothing could be further from the truth. Because true discipleship does require effort. It does require intentionality. It takes seeking people out and taking the initiative upon yourself to help them become more like Jesus as a result. Seeing it as your responsibility to do that. And I think it helps if the other person knows that that's what you're trying to do. I think it helps if the other person knows that you're trying to help them become more like Jesus. So sometimes it just helps to say to the other person that you're trying to pour into, that you're trying to disciple something like, hey, I would love to help you become more like Jesus. Are you game for that? We've got Chi Alpha people in the room. How many Chi Alpha people do we have in the room right now? Just out of curiosity. Quite a few. Yeah. So uh, you guys, I think, say it like this. Say the thing. Say the thing. In other words, don't like try to trick somebody into a discipleship relationship with you. That's not a good look. Deception in general is not a great way to start any relationship. But I think sometimes we do that, right? And so sometimes I think it's helpful to say the thing. Go to the person and say, hey, I'd like to help you become more like Jesus. Are you game for that? Are you interested in me doing that with you? So discipleship means initiating. Too many times in my life I have incorrectly assumed that just because someone claims to follow Jesus or is at church or is in a life group with me, that they want someone to help them become more like Jesus. And while that arguably should be the case, a lot of times it's not. So sometimes it helps to communicate up front, to initiate and say, hey, this is what I would like to help you with. Are you interested in that? Discipleship means initiating. It's an initiated relationship. And that relationship consists of, next part of the definition, loving the other person. Loving the other person. So discipleship should include loving the other person that you are discipling. Now keep in mind, uh, biblically love is not a feeling. It's an action. So loving the other person does not mean you need to figure out a way to like conjure up warm, fuzzy feelings about them. And it doesn't even mean that you need to figure out how to make them have warm, fuzzy feelings as a result of you loving them. That's not the goal. That's not what love means in the Bible. Love, biblically speaking, the word agape, is putting the good of the other person ahead of ourselves. Putting the good of another person ahead of ourselves. So I think of Jesus in the Gospel of John at one point saying, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for their friends. 
That's how Jesus defines love. So love to him is not so much a feeling as it is a posture of sacrifice towards the other person. And if love is laying down your life for the other person, surely it also includes laying down some of your schedule, some of your time, some of your preferences, some of your money. It involves meeting practical needs that the other person has if and when they come up. Discipleship at its core is an investment into the good of another person, which means you need to have a posture of lovingly sacrificing for the person that you are pouring into, the person that you're discipling. So this is a very, very small example in the grand scheme of things. But most of you guys that know me know that I am an introvert to the core, which is funny that God called me to do this. Very odd the way God works in some ways. But oddly enough, this environment is actually fine to me. If you ever see me like at a wedding or at like a get together at somebody's house, chances are I am terribly uncomfortable in that setting. Like just, I would say come and talk to me, but actually don't. I'm an introvert. Don't come talk to me because that'll make me more uncomfortable. Like that, I'm just kidding. You can talk to me. Just know I might be nervous talking to you. So either way, but the point is I'm an introvert, right? I, I don't enjoy I, I enjoy hanging out with other people. I don't enjoy the after effects of that. So I can hang out with people. I love hanging out with people. I just have to mentally and emotionally recover after hanging out with people. Some of you guys are with me on that. You know how that feels. Which means if I had things my way, I would spend my lunch break every day just eating lunch by myself in my office. That would be my preference. I would spend most evenings just reading a book until I fall asleep by myself. That's what I would do. Some of you are like, wow, that's really sad. I can't believe you do that. It's actually not. It's exhilarating. I love it. <laughs> it's the best time that I've ever had in my life. But just in general, that would be my preference of how to spend my time. I'm an introvert. But understanding that I am called to make disciples with my life means that a lot of my lunch breaks and a lot of my evenings get leverage to spend time with people that I want to help become more like Jesus. And listen, that's not a big sacrifice by any means. I get that. But it is an example of how making disciples means loving the other person. It means putting some of our preferences and how we would prefer life to go to the side for their good, to pursue their good and to help them become more like Jesus. Looks like loving other people. And the last thing I'll say on this one, uh, loving the other person, I think, is a really good way to let them know that they are not a project to you, but rather a person. It's a good way to help them see that your goal is not just to move them along a process, but to care for them, to provide for them, to help meet needs that they have, and to help them become, as a result, everything that God made them to be. That's why we're willing to sacrifice to see that happen. Discipleship includes loving the other person. Next, discipleship also includes teaching. Teaching. So this one is also explicitly mentioned in Matthew chapter 28, and it's no small command the way that Jesus brings it up. He says, quote, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them everything. Teaching them everything. Everything is a lot of things, last I checked, right? 
So we are instructed to invest in other people, to invest in other followers of Jesus until they have learned everything that there is to know about following Jesus, until they've learned how the good news of Jesus impacts every single facet of their life. Now, maybe upon hearing that, you're thinking, okay, this is why I can't disciple people then, because I don't know everything about following Jesus. Maybe you're thinking, sometimes I don't feel like I know much at all about following Jesus, and I get that. But you've got to keep reading in the passage. It doesn't say that we are to teach everything that we know. It says we are to teach everything that God commanded. Do you see that? In other words, our source for disciple making is not necessarily here. It's here. It's the scriptures. So you're not limited by what you don't know yet about following Jesus. You're only limited by your willingness to spend time reading and understanding this book open in front of you. That's what it means to teach people. And I'll just add to that as well. We live in the age of the internet, which means there is a wealth of information and resources and things out there to help you learn what the scriptures say and what the scriptures teach. There are podcasts, there are videos, there are sermons, there are blog posts. I mentioned this to someone the other day, and they were like, and there's TikTok. And I was like, well, yeah, there are definitely theologians on TikTok. Maybe if I were you, I'd leave those alone. I've, I've watched a few of them. Not great, but maybe I've just missed the good ones. Who knows? You can come tell me afterwards if there's some good theologians on TikTok. But just in general, dance videos, great on TikTok. Theologians, not so much. But if there's good stuff on TikTok, go for it. My point is that there are resources everywhere. If you don't know where to look to, to help learn what the scriptures teach, come and ask us. Come and ask a person on our staff. We would love to point you in the right direction to some helpful resources. If you don't know where else to go, you could even just start with our website, citychurchnox.com. There are almost five years worth of teachings on topics and books of the Bible that you could start with and learn what it looks like to follow Jesus so that you have something to pull from in your own life and as you teach others. So there are all sorts of resources out there to help you learn and teach everything that God commanded. And that is a key part of discipleship is teaching. Now, another part of discipleship that goes along with that is modeling. That's the next one, modeling. Now, not like the GQ type of modeling, but modeling what a life of a follower of Jesus looks like. So remember, at the very beginning, we talked about how discipleship is a lot like apprenticeship. So the, the goal is not to impart information to the other person about following Jesus. It's not just that. It's also to show them what following Jesus looks like in practice. So part of my story, personally, is that I grew up in and around the church. I was in church every time the doors were open and then some, right? Like I was there all of the time. I spent most of my childhood really hearing sermons and teachings week in and week out about the Bible. But it wasn't until I went to college and met a group of guys my age who followed Jesus that I decided to follow Jesus myself. And the reason for that, the reason that that was when it happened for me is because I got to see in them what a life lived with Jesus actually looked like in real life. They modeled what the life of a follower of Jesus looked like. So the person that you're discipling needs to see, not just hear, what it looks like to follow Jesus. 
They need to see how you interact with your roommates, for instance. They need to see how you treat your kids. They need to see how you love your spouse. They need to see how you handle your finances. They need to see how you think about your sexuality, how you manage your schedule, what you prioritize in life and what you do not prioritize in life. They don't just need information about following Jesus. They need a living, breathing example of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And they need to see specifically how you do all of that. Listen, I love so much that so many of you bring friends of yours here to the gathering on Sunday so that they can hear about Jesus. Totally feel free to keep doing that. And I hope it's helpful for them to spend time here with us. But at the end of the day, I need you to understand that I cannot disciple your friends through a sermon. Because I don't know them. I don't have a glimpse into their life, and most of them don't have a glimpse into mine. But you do have a glimpse into their life, and they have a glimpse into yours. And if we can tap into that, if we can take advantage of that, discipleship can start to happen. People can become more and more like Jesus, not just by hearing things taught or proclaimed or preached but having things modeled before their very eyes. Discipleship looks like modeling for other people what a life lived with Jesus looks like. And finally, last one. Discipleship also includes correcting. Correcting. Now, this one is obviously the least fun to talk about for most people. But part of discipleship is noticing when things are off in the other person's life and talking to them about it. Having the courage to broach that subject. For instance, when the way that they think about work, maybe, is inconsistent with the life of a follower of Jesus, you get to help them see that and then help them correct it. When the way they think about money is off, you help them see that and then you help them correct it. When the way they approach relationships is off, you help them see that and you help them correct it. That is a part of discipleship. Part of helping someone become more like Jesus is helping them align and realign every aspect of their life with the way of Jesus. Now again, this one requires overlapping your life with theirs on a semi-regular basis. There's just no way to not do that. If all you do is get together occasionally with them for coffee, it's going to be really hard for you to know what, if anything, they need to be corrected on. If the only time you see them is at your life group once a week or maybe even less frequently than that, it's going to be hard to know what, if anything, they need to be corrected on. In order to know when and if they need correction, you need semi-regular glimpses into that person's life. You need to see them in their everyday settings to know how they really live, not just how they tell you they live if that makes sense. Now, sometimes people think that correcting someone is in conflict with loving them, that you shouldn't correct someone if you love them. So people will say things like, well, we shouldn't try to change people. We're just supposed to love people. And I think the implication there is that loving people and wanting people to change are mutually exclusive goals. But I don't think that's true. Not even if we think about it for a second. For instance, if a person was wrestling with substance addiction, isn't it loving for you to want them to put that addiction behind them? 
If someone's life decisions were leading them to anxiety or depression or extreme isolation from others, isn't it loving for you to want them to make better choices? So sometimes loving another person actually looks like wanting them to change for their own good and for the good of those around them. The the key, I think the pivotal thing with this is simply this. It should be that your love for them motivates them wanting to change, not that your love is contingent upon them changing. And I think sometimes that's where we've gone wrong as followers of Jesus is we've made it seem like unless a person changes, we will not love them, when instead it should flow in the other direction. It should be that our love for them, our consistent posture of sacrifice and care and intentionality with them actually motivates them with the love of Jesus to want change, to want to become more who they were made to be as a result. So that is true Jesus-like discipleship. That's participating in correction so that you can help the other person become more of who they were made to be. So there's our definition. Discipleship is initiating a relationship that consists of loving, teaching, modeling, and correcting in order to help the other person become more like Jesus. Now, with that said, as we end, maybe you're taking all of that in and you're thinking to yourself, wow, that's a lot. That's a lot to participate in with another person. And I don't think you're wrong about that. Taking the initiative to help other people become more like Jesus is a big responsibility. There's no doubt about it. No doubt the disciples felt that too when Jesus gave them these instructions after they had only been following him for two or three years, right? No doubt they felt like it was a lot too, especially given that some of them were still wrestling with what they believed and what they thought about Jesus themselves. I think that is part of why Jesus ends this passage the way that he ends it in Matthew 28. He says, go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. But then he closes with this, and behold, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. I need you to hear this this morning. If you don't hear anything else I say, God does not leave his people on their own to make disciples. God does not leave his people on their own. He sends the spirit of God to fill them, to empower them, to lead them, and to guide them every single step of the way. When you go out to make disciples, you never, not once do you go alone to do that. You have the spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, living in you and going alongside you. That is the promise of all promises right there. The spirit will go with us to go and make disciples. And I think that's true in at least a few different ways, different ways that the spirit goes with us. I think first we see in the scriptures that the spirit will help us by pointing us to and reminding us of things in the scriptures So Jesus says in John 14 that the Spirit will, quote, teach us all things and will remind us of everything that he said to us. I I think it's also true and that he will help us in the moment by giving us words to say as we are pouring in and contributing to the lives of other people. Jesus says in Matthew 10 that when we find ourselves in high-pressure type situations as we go out, that we don't have to be anxious about what to say in those moments because the Spirit will tell us what to say and will speak through us in those moments. 
And lastly, don't neglect this one. I think the Spirit is with us in that God gives us other followers of Jesus with the Holy Spirit living within them who can offer wisdom and encouragement as we make disciples. In fact, let me just tell you right now, if you went up to your life group today and you said, hey, I would like to help make disciples in our life group, your life group leader would jump for joy. They might cry tears of joy if you said that to them right now. They would absolutely love to have that conversation with you. They would probably love few things more than to hang out with you and help you learn how to make disciples well. If you came up to one of our pastors and you said, hey, I'd like to learn how to make disciples. Can you help me? We would be overjoyed to help you learn how to do that. That is quite literally our job as pastors is to equip you to go and make disciples. That is what we're here for. So please utilize any and all of that in that way. But the Holy Spirit is available to you in and through other followers of Jesus to help you learn how to make disciples. And so in all of these ways and more, know that when you go to make disciples in your day-to-day life, you do not go alone. The Spirit of God in a multitude of different ways, the ways we just mentioned and other ways, goes with you and before you and works through you to make disciples. So I will close like Jesus did by saying this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded us. And behold, he is with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Um, Father, thank you for the task that you've given us. But God, thank you first for the promise that is ours as well, that you go with us. That through the, the life and the death and the resurrection of your son, we have life in you. That we have been given the opportunity to become more and more like you. To embody more and more of who you are to a world that needs you. And so, God, if there's any doubt um, in us this morning about who we are, about our identity, God, I just want to pray that you would use the, the words and the life of Jesus to, to remind us, to point us to who we are, to help us remember our true identity as a son, as a daughter of the king. God, we thank you that we have examples of your life um, in the scriptures that we can learn from about what it means to make disciples, what it means to contribute to the lives of others. And so God, I I pray that we would not neglect um, the things in that book. God, that we would just daily pour over it and and look through it for ways that you interacted with people and ways that you loved people and ways that you cared for people. And God, that that would be motivation, that that would be 
That would be an opportunity to see and hear what a life lived with God looks like and how to lead other people in that direction. And so God, if there's, um, if there's fear in the room, if there's uncertainty, if there's just a lack of experience, um, God, we pray that you would strengthen and encourage all of us with your presence, with the reality that the Holy Spirit is in us and goes with us. And that through that, we would go and we would make disciples that we would participate in the task that is worthy of every bit of our effort, every bit of our energy, every bit of our resources. And that's preparing others for the day that they see you face to face and all things are made new. So God, would you bring us help? Would you bring us hope? Would you bring us encouragement? Would you bring us life? And would you help every bit of those things to flow through us? and outward into the lives of others as a result. We ask this in your name, for your glory. Amen.